there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed and after being baptized he continued with Philip and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Verse 14. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord, that nothing of what you have, you have said may come upon me. 25. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they continued to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Wow! What an awesome story. All right, let's pray and we'll get straight into it. God, oh, thank you for the updates. Thank you for providing for the Jacks. Thank you for, um, so far, all that you're doing in and through our church family. Um, thank you for the newly wedded couple, Tylon and Katie. Um, thank you for Paulette and Jim. Thank you that the 50 years that they've been married, as we um, know them and get to know them, we know that they've been able to serve each other because... They have continually been amazed by how you've served them. God, thank you for Ron and his journey back home. Um, thank you for the update. Um, I pray, just as Glenn prayed, that as he returns, may he be able to assimilate um, into the culture of his family um, smoothly. Um, I pray for our time together now as we look at the story the true story of simon the magician and how you saved him god i pray that you would reveal to us what we need so that we can grow in our love for you 
In Jesus' name, amen. What is salvation? What is salvation? Okay, most of us know what salvation is. Salvation is the reality that we have been saved um, through faith in Jesus Christ. Um, that is what salvation is. That is what it means to be saved. Um, but what, what does it mean? So what we've been saved? What does it mean for us to be saved? Does it mean that we go to church? Um, does it mean that we pray? Um, is salvation all about reading our Bible? Is salvation about the fact that when we die, we get to go to heaven? What actually is salvation all about? Of course, it's all of those things I just mentioned, but it's more. It's definitely more than that. And so in this story today, um, we are going to um, look at salvation and how um, it not only matters, but how it motivates us and gives us strength and endurance as we aim to continue to be um, a church family on mission with Jesus in San Diego. All right. And so this week from Acts, from this story, we'll get a better understanding of salvation. Um, and as we do, we will learn this, that salvation is for everyone, everywhere who believes. Salvation comes with the power of the Holy Spirit and salvation reminds us of God's unwavering love for blatant sinners. They're the three things we're going to be learning today. And as we do, what we'll realize is that it will give us hope to believe um, that people that are lost, people that we know that don't know Jesus, that we feel can never know Jesus, will have hope to believe that they can get saved. We'll have hope to believe that as we continue this mission, um, God is with us and he's not only with us, but he empowers us. Um, and this will also remind us that God is gracious even to us. Um, so yeah, the first thing um, this passage reveals to us about salvation is this, that salvation is for everyone everywhere who believes. Let's look at verse 9, 10, and 11 again. Look at it, all right? Open your Bible and look at it. It says, but there was a man named Simon who had previously um, practiced magic in the city and amazed people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They, that is the Samaritans, all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. So before Philip arrived in Samaria, a man named Simon, a Samaritan, was making a name for himself in that region. He was a legendary magician who had been dazzling the Samaritans with his magical tricks um, for a while now. Magicians in the ancient world were not like the magicians of our modern world. They were not experts in the art of illusion, but they were more like the wizards in the fantasy, in fantasy literatures, like the Lord of the Rings. They had a deep knowledge of the spiritual world and could prescribe the right incantation formula or ritual to obtain the desired results. And so magicians were like, um, were, were like wizards, okay? They weren't like 
illusions and all of that they were very different um, they had tapped into the, the spiritual world they were involved in dark magic and the occult very different and so that's who simon was we don't know exactly um what kind of magic simon was specialized in we know he probably did incantations and all of them but legend has it that among his box of tricks um, was the ability to fly that means apparently simon <laughs> could fly and so his incredible magical practices his celebrity status and large following um, helped simon successfully market himself as somebody great and his marketing strategy was successful because people believed he was a great man because he had them because he had them believe that he was a great man and so the more simon bedazzled his fan base the more they viewed him as a man that is the power of god called great justin martyr most of you have heard of, of him if you don't he was an early christian apologist who was also who also happened to be a samaritan he says this about simon simon was thought to be god and that the Samaritans confessed him as their first God. In other words, Simon was a big deal. Through his magical practices, he had cemented his own godlike status in Samaria. Look at verse 12. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized both men and women it has long been the way of god to do his greatest work in the most challenging of times this is exactly what's happening in this true story of the early church if you remember last week we looked at how the death of stephen gave birth to intense persecution against the church in Jerusalem and the persecution was so severe thousands of Christians were forced to flee Jerusalem for safety. Philip was one of these um, that escaped and we know that Philip was one of seven men that was chosen to um, wait tables and to help the widows received the essentials that they needed. That was in Acts 6. And so when Philip escaped persecution in Jerusalem, he went north to Samaria. In Samaria, Philip proclaimed the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel. And he also performed signs and wonders. He was healing the sick and casting out evil spirits. God was working powerfully through Philip in Samaria. And so the Samaritans responded very well to the gospel. In fact, the passage tells us that most of them believed and expressed their newfound faith by getting baptized. As amazing as this was, what was even more amazing was that even Simon believed. Simon, the legendary godlike magician, believed he actually made a genuine commitment to follow the way of Jesus look at verse 13 it says 
even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip and seeing, and, and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Incredible. Simon, the sorcerer, Simon, the magician, believed the gospel, was baptized and decided to follow Philip wherever he went. Last week, we saw how the spread of the gospel to Samaria was, an, was unexpected and would have come as a shock to many. And that was because Samaria was a no-go zone for Jews. Jews viewed Samaria, Samaritans as fake Jews because they were a mix of Gentiles and Jews. And because of this, Jews did not like them at all. And so for the early church, which was made up of mostly Jews, to flee persecution and take the gospel to Samaria was kind of a big deal. It was totally unexpected. But by doing this, the church was not only being obedient to God's will, because last week we also learned that in Acts chapter 1, what they were doing in terms of taking the gospel to Samaria and Judea was a fulfillment of Jesus's prophecy of what Jesus said. And so they weren't only being obedient to God's will, but at the same time, they were acting against cultural norms. In essence, the church was saying as they fled to Samaria and took the gospel there, this is what they were saying. Salvation is not just for Jews. It's not limited to a certain type of person or a geographical location, but salvation is for everyone, everywhere who believes. And so my question to you this morning is, do you believe? Do you believe that salvation is available for everyone, everywhere who believes? Eleanor and I have family and friends who have little or no interest in Jesus. As soon as we bring up anything to do with Jesus, they get all defensive and they shut down and they don't want to hear it. And I'm sure you know people that are the same way. You have family, co-workers, friends or neighbours who are staunchly disinterested in the gospel, who are apathetic or indifferent toward the gospel. We are also very much aware of the statistics that tell us that there are actually places, countries, people groups around the world that have never heard the gospel of Jesus and have no interest in the gospel of Jesus. For an example, Indonesia, if you look at the statistics, um, Indonesia, the stats tell us that it's mostly a Muslim country um, and Christians there are basically not welcome at all. Okay, we're aware of all of these things. And so let's be honest. This reality, the reality that there are people we know that are disinterested in the gospel and there are parts of the world that are um, against, staunchly against the gospel, 
this reality makes it extremely difficult for us to keep sharing the gospel and keep sending missionaries out and at the same time keep believing that salvation is actually possible for them. Yet stories like this in Acts and many others like it throughout church history strengthen our hope to believe that salvation is possible for everyone everywhere. Let me just remind you again of who Simon was. Simon was this sorcerer, this wizard-like magician who practiced black magic and was deeply associated with the occult spirits and everything esoteric. Basically, Simon was probably one of the last people you would expect to get saved and baptized. But what happened to him when he heard the gospel? Verse 13 tells us that he believed and he was baptized and decided to follow Philip. And so King's Cross Church, may we reclaim our confidence and conviction that because we serve a great God, because we serve a good God, we must continue to believe that salvation is available and possible for everyone, everywhere, who believes. I love what author Becky Pippet says. She says, no matter how inadequate or hesitant we feel Jesus calls every Christian to be his mouthpiece hands and feet in the spreading of the gospel God gives us his power through the spirit his truth through the gospel and his love through Jesus everything we need to be effective witnesses and so God's gospel right makes it possible right for everyone everywhere to believe it's the good news of Jesus Christ salvation is not just for everyone everywhere who believes but next salvation comes with power salvation comes with power last week we discovered that the persecution that came after Stephen's death caused many Christians to flee Jerusalem for safety. We also noticed that while everyone was fleeing Jerusalem, the apostles decided to stay in the city. Now, when the news of everything happening in Samaria reached the apostles in Jerusalem, they were, I'm sure, ecstatic and amazed by God's grace and power. They were amazed that the gospel had spread to Samaria and that the Samaritans had actually believed the gospel and displayed their newfound faith through baptism. Although the apostles were excited, they made a decision to send Peter and John um, over to Samaria for a special assignment. And what was the assignment? Look at verses 14, 15 and 16. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had 
only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And so when Peter and John arrive in Samaria, they lay hands on the newly saved Samaritans and immediately, what does it tell us? They received the Holy Spirit. So what's happening here <laughs> is really, really interesting. It sounds simple, but a closer look at it um, begins to unveil some important truths about the Holy Spirit and salvation. And these truths are not only important, but they're also complex as well. Okay, and so what's happening is that the Samaritans believe and then receive the Holy Spirit as Peter and John lay their hands on them. And what is happening here is absolutely awesome. Awesome in so many ways. But like I said, it triggers a very important yet complex question. And that question is, does salvation involve a two-stage experience where we get saved and then receive the Holy Spirit or does it happen at the same time? In other words, does salvation come first and then it's followed by the reception of the Spirit at a later time? Or does it all happen at the same time? This question has been the source of controversy and debate, and debate within the church for many years. Some people believe in the two-stage experience of salvation and believe uh, this needs to be the norm. And they would point to Bible passages like this and several others to support their view. And for some of you, when you were saved, you probably didn't have to wait for someone, a church leader, to come and lay hands on you so that you could receive the Holy Spirit. For most of you, uh, if I'm right, your experience was that you received the gift of God's Spirit as soon as you were saved. There was no, I get saved and then later on, I get prayed for to receive the Holy Spirit. This is so interesting. I wish I was with you guys in person and you would see how animated I was. <laughs> I hate this Zoom thing, but I love it because this is what we've got. Okay. All right. Again, this whole idea of it being a one-time thing is not just based on experience for most of us is what the bible teaches the bible clearly teaches that a person receives the holy spirit the exact moment they are saved and we have examples of that in scripture acts 2 for example after peter preached the gospel at pentecost you guys remember he urged his listeners to repent be baptized for forgiveness of sins in order to receive the gift of the holy spirit there it is on the screen Okay, if you read it, um, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is to you and your children. You see that? It's kind of, it's talking about a one-time thing. But then, if that's true, why is Acts 8 telling us that the Samaritans are saved and baptized and then a few days or weeks later, Peter and John arrive and transmit the Holy Spirit to them through their hands? This year is clearly teaching a second experience rather than a one-time experience. We teach 
and we believe there are so many different explanations offered to make sense of all of this and I wish we had the time to go into great detail about all the different views but we just don't this morning but what we have time for is what I believe best explains what is happening right here and so whatever your experience has been with the Holy Spirit whether it was a second experience I know people that have had second experiences or a one-time experience what I want you to do is to put all of that aside so we can focus on, on exactly what's happening here in this moment in history and so what's happening first we need to recognize that the apostles are not establishing a normative practice for the church in all ages and places put it simply this what's happening here with the samaritans and salvation and philip and peter and john it's not a pattern for us to repeat today instead what's happening here with the samaritans is a visible listen to me carefully it's a visible manifestation of the spirit which marks a special event in the history of redemption and it was a special event because it was proof that the samaritans who were a mixed race of jewish and gentile ancestry despised who were despised by Jews, were not second-class believers, but belonged fully to the church. All right, Wayne Grudem nails it when he says this. And this quote hopefully should come up. Um, oh, the pro-presenter has, of course it has. The devil is a liar, everybody. The devil is a liar, okay? <laughs> okay, oh my gosh. All right, this is what Wayne Grudem said. Thus, the event in Acts 8 was a kind of Samaritan Pentecost, a special outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the people of Samaria, who were a mixed race of Jewish and Gentile ancestry, so that it might be evident to all that the full new covenant blessings and power of the Holy Spirit had come to this group of people as well and were not confined to Jews only. So this second experience of the Holy Spirit happening here in Acts 8 was proof, was for the purpose of um, the fact that the Samaritan believers belonged to the church as much as Jewish Christians. If you need more information on this, I will be happy to send you resources. All right, we've got to move on. When Jesus ascended to heaven after his resurrection, this is what he did. He instructed his disciples to go to Jerusalem and wait. Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would come upon them. And so after the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples, they were empowered to boldly share the gospel. Ever since then, 
the Holy Spirit has been authenticating believers. He has been the proof that we are saved. And the Holy Spirit also gives us gifts to do God's work, gives us power to further God's mission, and the Holy Spirit changes us to become more like Jesus. And so, if you are listening to the sound of my voice and you're a Christian, the power of the Holy Spirit is in you. God wants to use you in amazing ways. He can and will help you live a life that honors God. Not because of who you are or what you've done, but because of who he is and what he's done. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity and he is in us and he works through us to advance God's kingdom. He does. And I was thinking about, I was thinking without the Holy Spirit, what would life be like for me as a Christian? What would life be like without the Holy Spirit? Would I love to do a study on life without the Holy Spirit? <laughs> I've heard, I've heard, you know, people talk about life with the Holy Spirit. What about life without the Holy Spirit? What would that look like? It will be a strange life. It really will. All right, moving on. So far, we've seen that salvation is for everyone, everywhere who believes. We've also seen how salvation comes with the power of the Holy Spirit. The last thing we will learn from this true story, Simon the Magician, is um, about salvation, is that salvation reminds us of God's unwavering love for blatant sinners. Salvation reminds us of God's unwavering love for blatant sinners. As an accomplished magician, Simon had seen a lot of magical, awesome things, but he had never seen anything quite like this before. As Simon looks and sees Peter and John impart the Holy Spirit through laying hands on people, he is awestruck. And as a man obsessed with power, Simon wants to be able to do the same thing. He wants the same power and authority. He wants to be able to impart the spirit of God to others with a touch. And so what does he do in order to attain this power? Look at verse 18 and 19 in your Bibles. Now, when Simon saw that the spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Did you just read that? Unbelievable. Have you ever heard of the term simony? Who's heard of the term simony? 
interesting not many of you you learn something new every day here we go if you were to google or locate this word in your dictionary of choice you would get the following definition the buying or selling of ecclesiastical privileges that's what simony is defined as in most of your dictionaries does it sound familiar it should because simon's offer to purchase spiritual power was the inspiration behind this term simony simony is basically when someone tries to earn something spiritual through natural resources of their own and that's what simon is trying to do here right verse 18 and 19 he's so impressed with what he's seeing he's so impressed with the effects of the holy spirit on people and he wants and and he wants to be able to use the holy spirit himself simon is a sucker for power it's not enough for him to be a recipient of the holy spirit he desperately wants the power to be able to control and use the holy spirit when he wants and so he makes an offer for that power nt wright says this he wanted not the gift of the spirit itself but the power to lay hands on people and have the spirit come upon them that's what simon wanted and he thought the best way to get it is to make an offer offer money for it and so as he waits for peter and john to respond i think simon's probably thinking it was a pretty good offer and he doesn't see them turning it down in any way fortunately for simon he doesn't need to wait long for a response peter and john respond to his offer right away look at verse 20 but peter said to him may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of god with money obviously this is not a response simon was expecting and um, peter has no interest in his offer in fact peter if you look at the tone um, of what he's saying he's shocked and appalled just grossed out by simon's audacity to attempt to buy the gift of god with money and then in verse 21, Peter points to Simon's faulty heart as the motivation behind, as what caused him to take this crazy action of trying to buy the power of the Spirit. And so as Simon stands and listens to Peter's rebuke, and you can imagine it, imagine being there. As he stands, as he hears Peter rebuke him, I can imagine embarrassment and regret beginning to dominate his thoughts and emotions he he probably can't believe how 
foolish he was for thinking he could buy something that is a gift from God. He's probably made a lot of mistakes in his life, but this has to be one of the worst mistakes he's made. And so the sting of what Peter has just said reaches his heart. And as he wallows in the shame caused by his poor judgment, what Peter says next begins to resuscitate him from his shame. Peter offers him a lifeline which provides him with a way of escape from the difficult situation he finds himself in. Look at verse 22. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven. Um, a key word in that, verse 22, is repent. We all know what repent means. It means to turn. It's turning away from something and turning to something else. And so when we think about what Peter is urging Simon to do, we need to hear it as a plea to repent. To turn from the wickedness of his heart and turn to God in prayer for forgiveness. And the wickedness from which Simon must turn is the intent of his heart. That is the sin of attempting to buy the ability to transmit the Holy Spirit to others. And so the question is, how does Simon respond to all of this? To this rebuke? Look at verse 24. And Simon answered, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Did you guys notice something interesting about that? It's not hard. Um, Peter pleads with Simon to seek God in prayer to escape consequences of his action. Instead, what Simon is doing here is pleading with Peter to seek God in prayer for him so that he can escape the consequences of his actions. Rather than pray for myself, I need you to pray for me. Some people see Simon's refusal to pray for himself as a negative thing. Um, but I think it should be understood as showing remorse. I agree um, with Eckhard Schna Schnabel. He is a theologian. Um, I like his name very much. He says this, the fact that he, that is Simon, does not pray for himself may indicate that he has come to realize that his former way of handling supernatural power is no longer adequate and is afraid that what he might say to the Lord would again be manipulative. What's happening here? Simon, the sorcerer, magician, he gets saved, he gets baptized. Um, he sees the Holy Spirit being given um, to other people. And then he really likes what he sees. He wants that same control. He wants to be able to transmit and impart the Holy Spirit to others. So he makes an offer to buy the power to control the Holy Spirit. In response to that, Peter warns him and points out his sin. And then Peter begs. Um, and then what he does is he begs Peter to pray that he would be spared and not punished. After he asks for prayer, that's the last we hear of Simon. Okay, if you look at verse 24, uh, what happens next? It says, he, Simon says, pray for me. Please pray for me. 
And then that's all we hear because verse 25 talks about how um, Peter and John went back to Jerusalem and as they were on their way to Jerusalem and um, preached the gospel to many other villages in the Samaritans. And so that's all we hear of Simon, y'all. That's all we hear. <sighs> the true story of Simon ends here. We don't know what happened next. We don't know whether Peter prayed for him and he you know he repented we don't know whether he went off onto the deep end we don't know um, but his story um, communicates so many helpful truths like how it's easy for us to think we can earn God's gift of salvation through our good works um, Simon's actions in trying to um, buy the spirit also um, reveals to us how someone may profess faith in Jesus but not be actually saved. And lastly, Simon the Magician's story could reveal to us that how our lust for power can lead to the abuse of power. There's so much to so much application here, but I also think it's a story that reminds us of something equally as important. And that is this, God's unwavering love for blatant sinners. There's a debate within the church surrounding Simon's salvation. Some say he wasn't saved and others think that he was saved when he believed the gospel um, Philip preached. Personally, I think Simon's faith in Jesus was legit. I think he was genuinely saved. But I also think being saved didn't make him perfect. His salvation may have been legit, may have been instantaneous, but his sanctification was still a work in progress. Simon was a new Christian. He had a lot to learn. And so it shouldn't surprise us that he, um, he thought it would be perfectly fine to try and buy the power to control the Holy Spirit. And we see that happens all the time. Like when we meet new believers, when we meet people that are newly saved, um, they do and say things that are not right. That's just not right. And it's kind of something we expect from new believers. And so I think Simon was saved. I think he was just a young believer um, and he was making mistake. Before we think less of him, let's remember that we're no different. Our salvation doesn't mean we're perfect. We're not. We still do and say things that are sinful and that would surprise a lot of people. Like Simon, we still struggle with sin, even though we're saved. 
Like Simon, we still make stupid decisions and mistakes even though we've been saved. Whether we're newly saved or have been saved for many years, we all have certain sins we're prone to stumble in. For Simon, it was power. That was his issue. He had always been a man that would operate and would want power because power gave him greatness that was his issue that was his sin for you it could be something else for some of you um, your habitual sin your issue that continues to linger um, even after being saved for a long time could be lust it could be greed it could be unforgiveness it could be gossip. It could be pride. Like Simon, sometimes we'll even think something is perfectly fine when in reality it's not. When I first got saved, um, I thought that the only way to really connect with God in prayer, the only way to have a successful prayer life was to pray on my knees with my eyes closed. Okay, that is how I thought I could, I had to. And, and so to this day, I think the reason why I've got knee issues, it's not because of my years of playing soccer, was because I was, every time I prayed, I had to kneel and get on my knee. I had to get on my knees and I had to close my eyes. Um, and that is how I thought I could connect with God. And so what I was doing there was I was trying to earn God's attention with my posture. What about you? What are some of the things? What are some of your um, the things that you do um, that are not right, but you think that are okay? What are some of your sinful habits? What are sinful habits you entertain in your life? Maybe um, one of them could be trying to earn God's love through your good works. In other words, you say to yourself all over and over again, if I pray more, if I read more of my Bible, if I participate in more church activities, God will love me more. Maybe for some of you, um, it's the opposite. Because you fear legalism and don't want to end up being legalistic in any way, you are casual and apathetic when it comes to your faith and the practice of your faith. You are just so against legalism. Anytime you see someone or anytime someone encourages you to take your Christian walk seriously, what you do is automatically think they're being legalistic. And so you have this casual faith where you're just sailing, just sailing because God loves me, man. And that's all that matters. Whether we sin out of ignorance or we sin because we couldn't resist the temptation, we are all blatant sinners. But although we're sinful to the core, guess what? God's grace still abounds. Think about it. Simon sinned horribly. He offered to buy control over the Holy Spirit. And so when he did that, how did Peter respond? Peter did. Peter did call out his sin. But ultimately, Peter urged him to repent and turn to God for forgiveness. 
the fact that we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus. And listen to me, this is so important, guys. The fact that we're saved by faith through faith in Jesus is always a much needed reminder of God's unwavering love for blatant sinners like you and me. I love what Keller says about all of this. He says, we are more sinful in ourselves than we ever dared believed. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted than we ever dared hope. And that is the beauty and the power of the gospel. The power brings about salvation for everyone everywhere and the gospel brings about salvation but also um, gives us power through the Holy Spirit to accomplish God's mission and grow and mature to be like Jesus and the gospel reminds us that our good and great God his unwavering love is for people like us who continue to rebel and live lives that, are, that don't match what he wants us to live.